All right, here we are, episode three. So I want to kick off episode three with something that perhaps should have been in episode one. And that's how do you follow along? So I sort of take for granted if you're considering doing the level three that you've accessed the level three study guide, but you should never take anything for granted. So here's how I get there easily. If I need to see the study guide, I just jump onto my search engine. I type in CrossFit level three study guide. On Google, the uh, first results that come up are study materials from certifications.crossfit.com. And if you hit that study material reference list, which is sort of the uh, the sub point underneath it, that's it. That gives you the, uh, the list that I'm working off. It's a PDF document, study material reference list. It's got 17 pages and on page... Four, five. On page five, it also kicks off. That's where I'm finishing up page four today uh, with exertional acute exertional compartment syndrome with rhabdomyolysis, a case report and review of literature um, by McKinney, B and others from 2018. So it's relatively current. It's, it's very current. It's, it's pretty reassuring because we know that CrossFit's updating that um, the study materials by virtue of the fact that there's a 2018 article means something got updated in the last year or so. All right, so hopefully you know how to get it and I would suggest that for this to work best, uh, I'm really doing this podcast not as a standalone. I, I, uh, I hope to discourage people that just want to hear me talk about CrossFit stuff and more target this to specifically people who are studying their level three stuff and they've read the article. In this particular instance, You've read the article and like, wow, what the hell does that say? Because it is a proper um, scientific article from PubMed and it's a bit full on. So I've, I've really distilled this down, this, this uh, NCBI, NLM, NIH.gov site gives us this article which comes from the American Journal of Case Reports. And it's about a 17-year-old male who got acute exertional compartment syndrome on his right leg after a big session. Um, We know it was acute exertional compartment syndrome because the article goes on to uh, discuss how he achieved it. Uh, It doesn't actually specify the session, so that's worth discussing because I think what the purpose of this article in the grand scheme of um, preparing trainers who are doing their level three to be better trainers is just a, a piece of legit evidence that's recognized by many, many different parts of our industry. So if you're an exercise scientist or a physiotherapist, you will see this and say, all right, cool, uh, acute exertional compartment syndrome combined with rhabdomyolysis is a reality. And as a trainer, then we know we have the capacity to really do some people damage. This isn't new for us as CrossFit trainers on your level one. No doubt you're given the homework to read the article titled Responsible Training, and in it, it articulates the uh, the realities of rhabdomyolysis and the things we can do to mitigate our clients' risk of them. Let me come back to that because I think that's worth discussing, and, and like all of these artic- the, all of these podcasts, I don't think this is going to go particularly long, and hopefully everyone finds that relatively appealing. You give yourself a uh, dose of the study material and then save 20 minutes to hear me talk about it. 
What have I got in my notes? Well, we've got the start of the article, which really just sets the scene. As I said before, 17-year-old male, he's African-American, very important when we're talking about um, populations so that we appreciate that in scientific literature, the um, genetic makeup of the individual and their age is important if we're going to drag those outcomes across and suggest that they're relevant for other people. You know, the, what what would be... The real relevance of that is that perhaps the things found in this article aren't as relevant for a, um, an Anglo-Saxon female who's 63 years old. A very different, different genetic predispositions one could expect. So it's always, it's always referenced there. This bloke got rhabdo from footy training. Um, what's left to be pretty hopefully uh, inspiring is that in eight months time he returned from what is a pretty aggressive injury um, back to making it to division one playing um, gridiron again his acute exertional compartment syndrome is rare and they say it's rare because it happens in in absence of a fracture Uh, we talk about this exertional rhabdomyolysis is the thing that in crossfit we're most familiar with this particular scenario the one that's being listed he got compartment syndrome and if we're not familiar with compartment syndrome then the the anterior compartment is the fascial um, sleeve i guess that encompasses the front of the shin tibialis anterior and my guess is that this athlete got some tibialis anterior um, rhabdo which creates swelling that swelling increases the pressure of that compartment. And in this instance, I, uh, I'm gonna quote, it was a surgical, it's deemed to be a surgical emergency because it, and, and we know that based on the article, it leads to, it led to muscular necrosis and neurovascular injury. This dude had muscle death as well as some, uh, some nerve damage. That nerve damage carried through post rehab and he was in, unable to um, dorsiflex his big toe, but I, hopefully that will, recover but it might be something he hangs on to forever to define it what is acute exertional compartment syndrome a rise in pressure within that closed cap fascial space in the absence of a specific traumatic event that's what makes it exertional if you had a traumatic event got hit by a car a tree fell on you then you'd also have the risk of some damage to tissue causing swelling that may have to be released and that was the surgical emergency this gentleman had the, uh, the compartment released. He didn't have debridement. And if you read debridement, my understanding is that debridement is like a scratching or a, uh, a rough, rough uh, removal of tissue that shouldn't be there to encourage healing and regrowth. He didn't have debridement in the first instance, but they do mention that he went back in for other surgeries that may have had debridement in them. Rather than get caught up in the weeds of exactly what's said in this article, I I would rather um, try to find relevance for us as CrossFit trainers and also for you guys, what you know, where does this um, potentially stand with respect to test questions on the level three? I can promise you, I hope I can promise you, I don't really know because I have no interest, I have no input in the test, but they're not going to be getting direct quotes uh, in the in the level three from this journal article. So what we know is that it's a relevant piece of information that exercise has the capacity to do harm uh, in the event that the, the ideas 
put to you around rhabdomyolysis are ignored. I always try and think, well, sorry, not always try and think. I was definitely curious and I would have loved to hear what the session was that this guy participated in. He went to bed after a big session with sore pain and he knew it was problematic because he woke up and it was worsening pain and this is where it got diagnosed as um, that compartment syndrome with rhabdo. Because he had rhabdo, they put him on IV um, and they improved his rhabdo. He was discharged with a um, controlled articular motion boot and progressed to an ankle foot orthosis that kept him in dorsiflexion, dorsiflexion. And then as um, the little timeline in the article shows, it was eight months to get all the way back to pretty much his previous capacity. What was, what was of interest to me, I think, is the uh, suggestion that there's a delayed presentation. So if you had acute compartment syndrome with a fracture, the person often presents much quicker because you broke something. There's going to be a whole lot more pain um, without a fracture. I think there was something around 19 hours versus 96 hours. I made those numbers up, but it's definitely that, that, that compelling. And I, so that highlights for us the relevance of being aware of things that could induce rhabdomyolysis because rhabdomyolysis potentially leads to swelling, which could lead to um, a swollen compartment and compartment syndrome. And, and then again, as it said before, a surgical emergency. There's something interesting that I hadn't exposed myself or been exposed to before was the six P's of compartment syndrome. If someone has pulseness, pulselessness, so you can't find their pulse, um, you know, where are we likely to get that compartment syndrome if it popped up? Maybe it's going to be in the arms. You know, if someone smashes themselves through a million pull-ups, this is the thing that I've most seen uh, expresses rhabdo is a high rep pull-up workouts where somebody's not conditioned to that volume or they have had that conditioning but then have um, returned to it without adequately reacquainting themselves with the volume. So if someone could do hundreds of pull-ups, didn't train for three to six months at all and then dove back in expecting to be able to do hundreds of pull-ups again, that's the guy that's probably at risk of rhabdo. Now, if, if they've got all the signs and symptoms, you know, we, we've got here the, the six Ps, pulselessness, paralysis, pallor, pain, paresthesia, poiclothermia. Now, I googled two of those because I had no idea. I'd like to sound smart and pretend that I knew what they were. Pulselessness, pretty obvious. You, they, they suggest to you that, you know, they've got paralysis, um, can't move my hand, I've got no pulse, Hang on, that's problematic. That means that we've got extra pressure pushing on the blood vessels at the point so that such that they've restricted blood flow down um, to our hand. They've got pallor, so the hand's starting to go white. The skin feeling is weird. That's the paresthesia. You know, maybe it's tingling all over their skin. It's definitely going to be painful. And the percleothermia means that there's an inability for the heat to be regulated. It suggests circulation dramas. In that instance, bloody call an, call an ambulance, get them to the emergency room and, and suggest that something is amiss. That's what, that's what we've always said. You know, if we're concerned that, um, that rhabdomyolysis could be a problem, it's not our job to assess with, ah, you'll be right, mate. That's, that's not our job. Our job is to get people to emergency as quickly as we can. And I, and I imagine that would be, uh, in most instances, those 
those safety questions are quite obvious. You know, it's A, B, C, or D. Do you A, tell them they'll be right, harden up, sprinkle some concrete on it. B, get them to the emergency room as quickly as possible. C, some sort of uh, pseudo-solution that, that sort of makes sense. You know, have them drink copious amounts of water in an effort to rehydrate them and, and dilute the muscle. Or D, you know, get your pocket knife out and release the compartment yourself. You, hopefully the absurdity of both the last two uh, are there and it's, and it's always going to be the B uh, and the absurdity of the first one as well. But hopefully it's always going to be B, get them to the emergency room. Um, massive disclaimer, I don't write any of the questions. I did my test back in 2013, so it's eight years ago. I have no actual recollection of the questions and the questions have most likely changed, even if my memory was that good. So let's talk a little bit about Rabdo. And I have looked at the study guide and noticed something which is, is a little daunting. And that is that in the 111 articles, of which I'm on the third one, before that, we have whole trainer manuals that are whole, um, yeah, manuals or guides that have heaps and heaps and heaps in it. One of them is the one is the level one trainer guide. So if you're not across the level one trainer guide, I would remind you to go back through, especially that discussion of rhabdomyolysis, because rhabdomyolysis is the most relevant CrossFit piece out of this um, this bit of study guide. Team again, it's it's quite a short one. Um, I hope that this has just triggered a better understanding of what is on the surface quite a, cons- uh, I don't know, not concerning, but a little compli- complex and, uh, and not, easily, um, not easily transferable idea, I guess, that this, this elite college-level athlete had a bad, bad training session. My massive takeaway from this would be to be, is to be cautious always. And I think as a, as a general theme, and hopefully this is an evolution that I can pass on in me as a trainer, we're not smashing people for the sake of smashing people. You know, we, as I spoke about last time, intensity is the independent variable most commonly associated with maximizing the rate of return on favorable adaptations. But we've got to get there in a way that's safe and um, progressive and uh, commensurate with where your athlete is at. If you are still at that point where you love smashing yourself and getting a good workout, cool. But just remember that that isn't necessarily the best thing for all clients. I'm going to knock that one on the head at 15 minutes and, uh, and just remind people to reach out to me if you want to hear something else about those articles or um, if there's any confusion around the, the perspective that I've taken on them. We'll keep punching this through. So far, I've done one every day. I make no promises that that's going to keep going, but I, uh, I'm enjoying it. It gives me, gives me a reason to go through this material, which is, which is relevant for us as trainers. Thank you very much, team. Till the next one.